We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Update some fantasy football rankings today. Talk about all the most recent news. If anything happens after like 3 p.m. on Tuesday, it's not going to be covered because that's when we're filming this. And that might even be a lie. Who knows? We're going to get to all the most up-to-date info. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars, here's what you do. Smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and tell me which injury so far minor injury maybe maybe a tweak something in the preseason and in training camp that worries you the most which player worries you the most you know aj green doesn't count he you know he had ankle surgery we know that it's not good for him but like you know damian williams with the hamstring problem derrick henry with a strained calf who out there just worries you heading into fantasy football drafts that's way number one way number two subscribe on itunes rate on itunes review on itunes five stars DraftKings handle something nice about the show boom you're in a draw for 20 DK bucks and follow me on Instagram at the PME comment underneath one of the golf or football or UFC photos that goes up. Give it a quick heart. Leave your DraftKings handle. Those are the three ways you can get in the draw for 20 DraftKings dollars. Winners announced on Monday's show. If you've never rated the iTunes show, we're almost to 2000 reviews. If we get over 2000 reviews before the start of fantasy football season official you know the week one the actual season then i might have some super giveaways for from DraftKings for you out there so hey take the 30 seconds go leave the review you might get 20 bucks out of it you might get more in the future who knows anyway joining me on the line to break down the most recent set of news and how that affects the rankings back from new york where he did the flex draft owner of a brand new puppy congrats dad from the athletic it is jake seeley the all-in kid what's up man 
How's it going? Yeah, it feels like it's been too long, and I think it was just a few weeks ago that we were talking. Well, it's funny because you're doing fantasy football and fantasy baseball every single day. I'm still like, especially with this new PGA deal with DraftKings, I've just been like, you know, you know, tsunami of golf stuff coming through. But that's coming to an end. And I'm trying to like smash out as much fantasy football content as possible. I went from one a week to two a week. We're going to start getting three a week pretty soon. And then it's just going to be the Pat Mayo experience, a.k.a. the fantasy football show. Yeah, hey, look, that's kind of how everything goes. I'm, I'm smashing out as much as the fit. Like, I only have two more fancy uh, baseball going. I got the upstate, updated ranks after the trade deadline, one more next week, and then one basically before September's. And like, you know what? What's going to really change in September? Because fancy football season's here. I mean, that's what everybody's talking about. This is what, this is what, as you mentioned, the Flex Leagues is, is kicking off hashtag draft SZN because everybody loves that little SZZ. Is like, I, I hate that so much. Oh, we're going back to SZN again? I, I thought that was like last year's thing. Now we're done. Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely, it's back hardcore. How many people under the age of 98 still watch baseball? Uh, 10? All right. Maybe, give or take. Maybe plus two or minus. Like you'd be surprised over at the athletic, the amount of people that like want to get involved in basically like I told you before we came on the show, they just want to hear that they're right. Yeah. I mean, you froze on me for a second. Not the audio. I could hear the audio, but your face was in a very, are you looking at your dogs? Do people hear the dog in the background? It's day one with the dog or day two with the dog. It's, it's still technically day one. She only showed up yesterday afternoon at four 30. She was supposed to show up today, but the lady who was watching her, it's a rescue. The mom's a rescue. So the puppies are a rescue. And she was supposed to hold her until tomorrow, but she's going out of town now. So I got her yesterday at four 30. So today at four 30 in the afternoon, it will be for the first 24 hours. All right, tell me about the Flex League draft that you guys did in New York. I'm going to have Chris Meany come on and review his auction team because I haven't done any auction stuff yet, and we'll go over auction strategy. And I just think looking at the prices for a lot of these guys is probably the most helpful tool that you can see. Here's what people are actually bidding with their budget. Was, this, was it the standard $200 budget, or was it yes. like 250 or something? No, it was standard 200 Everything, Everything's the same as your home league. It's half-point PPR for all three leagues. We did an auction, as you're talking about. We did an auction, we did a snake, and then we did a super flex snake. So everything's there for you guys to help out with. Uh, it's 200 and The rest is like it's four for a passing, six for a rushing or receiving. It's all, all the rest of the stuff is the same. The only difference is obviously band kickers, no kickers, and the additional flex spot. The super flex is a super flex spot. The other two leagues is just an additional flex spot. But as you mentioned, the auction prices are pretty telling. They're a very good barometer to go off of. As you know, as I know, as everybody who knows who's experienced, the only thing you can kind of dismiss, I'd say maybe 50%, is the quarterback pricing. The quarterback pricing, the Superflex is pretty – I actually – I thought that was very good. I thought that was very good of what a Superflex should look like. But the quarterback pricing and the snake and the auction even in itself, uh, those aren't what you're normally going to see in your home league. No, but I just think just seeing like I, when Meany and I go over it, we're going to just list the top 30 guys, like the top 30 that went in the bidding. And that, that gives you a relative range of where these guys are going to go if you're doing an auction that, hey, this is about maybe some guys overpaid. We'll talk about that. Or some guys went for less. But that also depends on like the order. I'll save it for the auction show. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's what you need to do. That, that, the, the interesting thing was the top four running backs all went for the exact same price, all went for 57. And then as I told you before, the one really telling thing was, I also kind of noticed it because I was the one that took Drake, but Balage, because of how auctions go, as you're kind of alluding to there, is like when last people, like Mark Ingram went for the same price as Damian Williams because he was the last good running back, although you would never call him that, on the board. And then like Kalen Balage because of the Matthew Berry hype and then because everything like that. He was also one of the last good-ish running backs, ended up going more for Drake. So it's always interesting to see those kind of dynamics. 
Yeah, and that depends on the order that it comes out. And it was Chris Meany who took Mark Ingram. I think that was just as basically like, fuck you to Mayo. You see if this works out. Uh, here, here's a quick tip, Meany. It's not going to work out for you. So we're going to review his team when he's in studio, when he has the time to do that. Hopefully, uh, that show will come out on Friday. But hey, he canceled on me yesterday. Maybe he'll cancel. He's a real big shot over at The Athletic now. So that's the whole thing. Um, let's talk about my rankings are updated right now to August 6th up on DKPlaybook.com. If you want to go find those there, they're in sequential order, not memento order, where it's like 23 and 105 and 2. You know, it's, it's like 1 through 175. You can find them all up there, separated by tiers for positions as well, if you want to go find that. And I think the big thing you kind of hit on in this auction is all the top four running backs went for exactly the same price. But I am really starting to go into panic mode on Ezekiel Elliott. I had him as my number one overall player. I have now changed my ranking. So if you watch the top 200 show, stuff has changed. When news change, the rankings change. And I've dropped him from number one to number four at running back. I currently still have him as the fourth overall player uh, and still a part of that bottom part of that very top tier of running back. Now it goes Barkley. McCaffrey, Kamara, and Ezekiel Elliott. I think there's a realistic chance that he misses a part of this season, potentially even all of this season, because he's saying he's not playing without a new contract. Yeah, I know he's saying that, but the, the, here's the one thing, and I know we're never going to feel good after what happened last year with Le'Veon Bell because, well, two things. There's one of those Le'Veon Bell, we didn't expect to hold out for the other season, but also we didn't have the full story. We had the full story of the, the fact that around week nine, all of a sudden it was, hey, he could sit out the entire season and still be a free agent. Up until that point, everybody was saying he needed to play. That's why we were all saying worst case scenario was week 10, week 11, whenever it was because of the bye was he still shows up for the last few games. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, no, he doesn't need that. Here's the differences between Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon. Neither one of them are in that scenario. Neither one of them are. They can sit out the entire season and still go into free agency. So both of them, unless somebody's lying to us, both of them need to play at least six games. Now, Melvin Gordon, we, I know we're not talking about him, but Melvin Gordon, I'm legitimately concerned. Ezekiel Elliott, I'm not yet. I know you have him at four, and if you want to put him at four, I don't care. I've had him at number three the entire time because I've gone Berkeley. Barkley, who's the name of my dog, and I still messed it up, Christian McCaffrey, and then Zeke, but it's, you know, we're nitpicking here. I'm not concerned because just this morning we get a report that the Cowboys said they have contracts on the table that they're planning on putting in front of the players for quarterback. This is, they didn't say the players' names. They said for quarterback, running back, wide receiver to make all three of them top 10 paid or maybe even just top five paid at the position. So we, it's weird because you, you've seen it. It's one day as Jerry Jones is like, you know, I understand he's not really away from the team, all that type of stuff. And then, as you've mentioned, then we get Zeke Elliott saying, well, I'm not going to play unless I get a contract. Again, I don't think he's got a lot of leverage, and I think they're going to get something done. Maybe that's me being foolish. Maybe I'm naive. But I think, I think Zeke Elliott's okay. I'm hoping that he ends up playing for week one. If we get this contract situation settled, probably by like week three of the preseason, I'll move him back up to number one. But I am somewhat pensive and somewhat hesitant to take him with the number one overall pick if I was drafting right now. I think that there are three options that... I think all these guys, that's why they're all on a tier by themselves to me, that they're all very, very close. You can put them in any sort of order that you want and be right about it by the end of the year. I mean, only one person can be right if you put number one in it. You know what I'm saying. But like, right. they're, they're all so close that if this is a red flag for him, he goes to the bottom of that list. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's why, if, like as you said, if you're drafting this today and you want to put them at four and take the other three first, because they are so close to each other that you just eliminate the risk of somebody holding out. On the flip side, I think if we knew, like you said, if the contract was signed today and Ezekiel Elliott's out there for 16 games, as you just said earlier, 
he's in contention for number one. As much as Kamara's on this team or Kamara's on this team, uh, I, I just don't see him being in contention for the number one. I think at best case scenario, he's still always going to be number three or number four. So you might get a little bit of a value, but the gap's not so huge that why not mitigate the risk, as you're saying. So who are we looking at? Let's say he does sit out. Who is then the starting running back on the Dallas Cowboys? Is it Tony Pollard? Is it my main man, the, the brand new Weber Cooks? Hello, Wildcats. This is Weber Cooks. And today we're doing uh, chili cheese nachos or is it going to be like <laughs> alfred morris who they just brought in so this is where i've been telling a lot of people i don't think it's anybody i think it's what we've seen a lot of times from the cowboys when zeke's been out is there's a lead where who's somebody's getting the majority of the touches but it's only 45 maybe 50 percent and everybody's involved i think as of today you're looking for pollard for the most upside the highest ceiling but at the same time, he's not somebody you really want to run through the tackles all the time. He's not somebody that you really want to give 20 touches per game. If anything, Weber fits that a little bit more, but he's not as explosive as Pollard. He's not as good in the passing game. So you have all that. And then, as you mentioned, Alfred Morris is back, who Alfred Morris has proved time to get almost similar to like Adrian Peterson. It's like when you're ready to write him off, he's like, oh, I still have a little bit left. And now you put him back in this offense. It's like, who knows what Alfred Morris might still have left. So I don't really think he's going to be the lead. I, like I said, today... I'd go Pollard, then probably a coin flip between Alfred Morris and Weber. But the point being is I don't think Tony Pollard is all of a sudden top 15, maybe even top 20, just because he's the lead option in this backfield. I would still call him a mid to low RB2 if he's the lead guy, and that's who I would bank on as of today. So I'm not going to adjust my rankings, although I do think that if you are in a draft right now and Tony Pollard is still there in the later rounds, like what what's the harm in taking him or yeah. whoever else in the 12th round kind of thing? If Zeke signs, then you cut him and go pick someone else up. This is one of the things, even if you have kickers in your league and you're not like sold on a defense, <laughs> which you probably shouldn't be, just play the matchups every single week. This is where the strategy of not drafting a kicker and not drafting a defense really comes into play. It just gives you two more bullets to fire on guys who have potential ups side and if they don't you just cut them before the season starts then you pick up your kicker then you pick up your defense like why not use those extra roster spots to your advantage but if you were doing it right now and you were in a draft when would you when would you take pollard do you think 12th round 13th uh that's uh, i was about to say 12th or 13th i think that's a really good spot for it because it's not just as you forget the defenses and the kickers and that type of stuff and of course you know i don't care about kickers anyway is the fact of 12th and 13th round picks. I mean, what is it like? Usually like a 50-50, you're dropping one of those guys anyway. So it goes back to the argument you and I have had before where I've said it to you is why are you drafting guys like right now? A good example would be Frank Gore. Why would you ever, ever, ever draft Frank Gore? If he's never going to touch your lineup or have the upside to become an RB2 or take over at a position if an injury or anything like If he's never going to touch your lineup, even maybe your best case scenario is one bye week, why are you drafting him? You're drafting upside at that point because the Frank Gores of the world will always be on the waiver wire. So 12th, to be honest with you, depending on who I'm drafting with, I might even think about it in the 11th round, but it's, it's obviously going to depend on who's on the board. So this is the time of year where we really need to pay attention to the news, but sometimes paying attention to the news can be a bit too much. Like there was a report that came out that uh, key Sean Johnson, you know, with the two E's in Arizona, uh, he'd been the talk of the camp. He's going to be the number three receiver in Arizona. And that's like, Two days after Andy Isabella is just looking so great. What a connection with Kyler Murray that he has. And then they were talking to Hakeem Butler before that. Then the news comes out that Arizona is going to sign former Texas Tech and Mike, Leak product, Mike Leach product. 
Michael Crabtree, who's just sitting out there on the waiver wire, and then everyone's like, oh, Crabtree's going to be the number three. And it turns out he wasn't signed at all over the course of like three days. So does anyone have a clue what's going on in Arizona right now? No, and that's what I keep saying. I don't know. I don't understand why people are trying to pretend that they do. The only thing we know is David Johnson is the lead running back. Christian Kirk should be the number one, and Larry Fitzgerald should be the number two. That's what we know as of today. But even as you know, we had this conversation a few weeks ago. I don't understand why people think David Johnson's a consensus locked in number five running back off the board. If you want to take him at number five, no problem. But Chase Edmonds, to go with this whole speaking people up on this team, He's been talked up as in being used more in the passing game. We don't know what Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury is going to do. We don't know what Kyler Murray is going to do as a rookie quarterback. We can project all we want, and people can make our best assumptions and best guesses, and that's our job is to give you what we think is our best information, and hopefully we're right. And as of right now, my money would be on Keyshawn Johnson because I thought it was an open competition, and I thought the open competition didn't involve Butler because I don't think Butler is good at all. And it wasn't surprising to me when you also had the other news saying that he might not even be until a year or two in the starting lineup or actually even in the conversation. And I think that's part of the reason they were feeling out Michael Crabtree. Isabel's a deep threat guy, but I think that you're looking at a team that's already talked about going five wide. So what kind of consistency are you going to get after Kirk and after Larry Fitzgerald anyway? So even if it is Keyshawn Johnson, I don't think you're going to be starting him and saying, ooh, I got to break out number three. This isn't the Rams. It's not the – the difference is – and I just talked about with somebody in the comments of my rankings yesterday, and they said, how could you have Jared Goff – as QB, I think having like 14, 15, somewhere around there, but you have all three wide receivers inside the top 25. And what I'm going to compare between these two teams is because the Rams are one of the few teams where the top three wide receivers, that's where all the targets go. There's no really mix between the three, four, five receivers, which are what you see with most teams. And that's what we would see here with Arizona is it's not like there's going to be the number three is always the number three. And he's always getting those targets. So I, I don't know why anybody's out there saying, yeah, this is what it's going to be with the Cardinals because we still don't even – if Kingsbury could be Chip Kelly. He could bomb with his offense in the first year. Yeah, I, I'm completely on board with that. I don't know if it's going to be that extreme. I mean, it could also turn out that Kyler Murray's no good. Like, everyone is just projecting the Cardinals to, like, all of a sudden be awesome. Like, Siege was on the show last week. And this is Siege, for what it's worth. Uh, but he had some hot takes about Arizona making the playoffs this year. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, no, okay, let's say their offense is good. And all these guys become fantasy studs, and it's fantastic. Their defense is still atrocious. Yep. Their the defense is god-awful. And, and, and who is blocking for Kyler Murray? That's what I, was, I wouldn't even get to that point. The offensive line, despite being improved, is still not really good. I mean, maybe middle of the road at best. But to go to the Kyler Murray thing, a good example would be, I think there's more questions among the industry than people think. And the fact this is in that auction league, oh, yep, there we go, Barkley's up, is <laughs> – I put out Kyler Murray for five bucks thinking the the excitement would go higher. Like, I didn't really want Kyler Murray as my quarterback, but I threw him at it for five bucks, and there was crickets, unlike Barkley, and all of a sudden it was just, I got Kyler Murray for five bucks. Nobody else even bid. Really? That, that, kind of, that really surprises me. And it super surprised me. But that's the point of, like, our league is that there was quarterbacks that went for 2 or $3, and those are QB1s that went for 2 or 3 I think the highest quarterback – was uh, Patrick Mahomes at like 12 or 13. That's not going to happen in your auction home league. No, he's going to go for like 35 bucks or potentially more. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And listen, I, I mean, I wouldn't do it. I know you wouldn't do it. And math would tell you not to do it. But you can win. That's the one thing that I, I really feel like fantasy analysts or 
experts as i mean i shouldn't put air quotes on analysts that is what they are doing experts i will put the quotes on yeah i think we're all on board that you don't want to spend a very high pick you don't want to spend that draft capital or that equity on a quarterback but some people try to make it out like a that doesn't happen which is just completely false that just happens all the time and that you can't win that way too like if you had drafted if you had drafted patrick mahomes first overall last year there's a good chance you probably won your league that's just the season that he had but now you're now you're trying to draft him like he's going to have that season again Right. And that's the biggest thing, too. I mean, you can look at a lot of examples of that. I mean, the big thing with like Kelsey being a first round pick is Kelsey has to do what he did last year to be worthy of that first round pick is to go back to the Rob Gronkowski seasons is, yes, you could definitively have an advantage over everybody else and win if they put up that season. But the fact is, is you're banking on that season, buying all the risk because you're already putting yourself at a detriment at the other positions, running back and wide receiver, where you have to go deeper. You're only starting one of those two positions. And that's why it's always the weight on quarterback. And if you don't get a tight end, like just go ahead and wait for those next tiers further down because it's the drop off of everything else that you lose where they now have to do that. So like you said, you could draft your first two picks could be Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and you'll win your league walking away but that's only if they do what they did last year. Uh, I still think that Travis Kelsey is a late round first round pick. And that's fine. But if he, what's happens if he only has 80% of last year now, I, I mean, if he, if he only has 80% of last year, I still think that you can be fine with that just based on the positional value. If he scores 80% of what he scored last year, I still think that he finishes the number one tight end. That's not what I'm looking for from that pick. Obviously <laughs> I need there to be a gap to really have that value. But like, you could also say, Hey, you draft Camara second overall, he blows out his knee. Like you can still win if that happens. Right, but it's easier to win when that happens at running back than it is at tight end because you didn't sacrifice two things instead of one. So you, look, you're right, but I don't. I'm. I don't think eighty percent would make him the number one tight end. I think that would probably put him at like four. Ah, uh, see, I don't think so. Like Kittle's not going to have the year that he had last year. I just don't think that's. I don't think. Why that, not? I just don't think that those long touchdowns are repeatable. I think he's going to. I have him as number two tight end. I still think he's going to be good. I just think that if if you compared the two and you had. Kittle over here and Ert, not Ertz, uh, Kelsey over here. Then, if you told me that one of them lost twenty to twenty-five percent of their fantasy points from last year, the answer would be George Kittle me Timbers. And I would agree with you. I've had to choose between one of the two, but that's kind of a different argument. In fact, what I was saying is. I don't think Kittle's going to fall off that. Like if that's an odds, like who would you pick? I don't think either one of them are going to fall off that much. But my point was, if it is Kelsey who falls up 20% and Kittle drops 10%. And then I actually think Evan Ingram is really starting to close the gap between Kittle and Ertz and himself, just because Sterling Shepard, it should be okay by week one, but Golden Tate's out for the first four weeks. Evan Ingram, similar to Kittle is essentially in the conversation for the number one pass catching option on that team. Yeah, but Evan Ingram is going to get all this juice and drafts right now because of the Tate suspension, because of the Shepard thumb injury. Um, like you mentioned, he should be good for week one and the rest of the injuries that are just plaguing the Giants right now. But I think once, uh, not once, once that Golden Tate ends up returning and Shepard is out there too, like he could be the number one tight end for the first four weeks of the season. Then he goes back to being the number four tight end or the number five tight end that he's probably just a good sell in after week three. Which is fine. But yeah, again, that's uh, I would not spend the draft capital where he's starting to turn into fourth, sometimes fringy third round. And he's that to that point of where his ADP is growing and getting to the point of on the heels of Ertz and Kittle. My entire point was at this season's end, I could see that gap 
being small enough where if Ingram falls, I just took Evan Ingram in the sixth round. And this was again a week ago, but it was still after the Tate news is the fact that I took him in the sixth round and that was the first share I got of him. And I was thrilled with it because in the sixth round, I'm going to take him every time I would consider him late fifth, but I, I say that because I think he's going to be on their heels. I'm not going to pay the price of costing that to have him as a fringy third round pick though. All right. AJ Green, Bengals coach Zach Taylor, said that he could miss a few regular season games. There's like conflicting reports, but he just had ankle surgery. So he's probably going to miss at least the first two weeks. And then he's not fresh coming in. So week three is probably a write-off for him. I'm having a really tough time figuring out where to draft him. Like in my rankings, uh, I have him at number 80 overall. And that's like behind Miles Sanders. That's behind Lamar Miller and Tevin Coleman and guys like that. Everyone can just go check that out up on the site if they want to on DK Playbook. But I don't know what the expectations are from him this year. Like, where did he go in the Flex League draft? Uh, earlier than I thought he would. I want to say fifth round. I, I, you have to double I have to double check. I have to I, look. But point being, it was before I was even thinking about AJ Green. I'm lower than you. What wide what, what, what receiver position is he for you? <sighs> 37 38 something like that uh you're not that far away i'm at 44 uh mostly because you said the conflicting reports the one that i don't like is yes he said you miss a few games but we also right before that heard we hope to have aj green for the first half like to me we hope for the first half that's eight games and so right now when i updated my projections i projected for nine games and i don't even know how i feel about that like that's I feel that's a good middle ground of maybe he gets back for 11 and then you have the upside that he actually plays the extra couple of games, but you're also mitigating a little bit of risk where now he's at 44. He's around guys like John Brown, Geronimo Allison, Dante Pettis, Michael Gallup in that range where, you know what? I'll probably draft him a little bit ahead of those guys because if he plays 10 games, 12 games, somehow gets back early. Now you're talking about somebody who has finished as a top five wide receiver before, but that's a lot of risk. I mean, AJ Green has the injury history already. And then we're saying we hope to get him for the first half. I just, it just really makes me, I kind of not similar to Andrew Luck, but in the way of like, what happens if all of a sudden it's AJ Green and he's out for 12 games and we get him for the last few games of the season. Yeah, right now in the rankings, like when I go into my tier six where Allen Robinson is the top player, if I go like halfway down that, it's like Corey Davis, Deshaun Hamilton, your buddy, Marvin Jones, Dante Pettis, A.J. Green, Deshaun Jackson is the end of tier six for me. And that's like Albert Wilson and Curtis Samuel are the beginning of tier seven. And that's fair. And I have a few more in mind. I think we did that when we ran through the the tiers, but you know, 44 to where you have in 37, 38, isn't that big of a difference? And I mean, we're talking projection wise, that's even fewer than five points of a gap. So if you want to take them, because like I said, the, the upside here is if he misses only like the first month, I mean, you get 12 games of AJ green, he could probably finish his wide receiver 18, maybe even a little bit better. So it's just whether or not you, you I think it's going to come down to, and I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm like trying to take the easy way out, but it's the truth. It's going to come down to roster construction. If you have a volatile wide receiver one and two, you're not going to pay. Like if you drafted Allen Robinson as your number two, you're not going to pair him with AJ Green. If you drafted Leonard Fournette as an early running back, you're not going to put AJ Green on that same team just because you're not going to do that to yourself. You're going to possibly be done by week four of your season and looking for fantasy baseball or hockey or something. But it just comes down to, well, if you have a lot of reliable options, then you take that chance because if you get him as your wide receiver three and he plays 12 games, this could be a league-changing winning situation. What do we do with 
Tyler Boyd right now. I moved him up to the top of tier five, one spot ahead of Chris Godwin, one spot behind Brandon Cooks in my rankings. A lot of what I've seen so far is, hey, Tyler Boyd couldn't do anything basically without AJ Green on the field last season. Why is that going to be different here? I think I would still take the shot that he's going to be healthy. And if Green does come back, I would expect Boyd to be pretty good anyway. But I'm trying to wrap my mind about around what this Bengals receiving core, at least, ends up looking like sans A.J. Green for, let's say, three games. The first three games, what does that what does that depth chart look like? Because John Ross is already dealing with a hamstring injury. Yeah, what it looks like is a mess. I mean, we could talk about Erickson. We could talk about Core. You could talk about one of somebody who I thought would be drafted and undrafted free agent who I think has a lot of talent, Stanley Morgan. They have options, but I don't think it's going to be anything we could put our pin on because – Maybe for those first three games, Tyler Eifert actually stays healthy. And then at that point, a healthy Tyler Eifert, which is who knows what that looks like anymore, but should conceivably be their number two behind Tyler Boyd. I actually have Tyler Boyd up at 21 right now for 126 targets over the season. Again, that's also with my projecting AJ Green to miss seven games. So it really comes down to to go back to the Tyler Boyd part of it is let's chill out on this a little bit. It's a very small sample size. It's still a small sample size on a player who wasn't playing with his regular quarterback and Andy Dalton for the entire time. We're also talking about somebody who last year, a lot of people were saying, wow, remember Tyler Boyd? And why do we write him off so fast? He's still developing. Look at what he's been doing in a short time. He's still learning the NFL. And let's, so all the support just all of a sudden threw out the window because all of everybody's got these numbers that say that. And I say, I didn't mean numbers because their numbers are numbers. They're not going to lie. But the truth is, yes, without A.J. Green. And I'm going to compare it two ways. It's like One is you can look back to Randall Cobb when he was asked to be the number one wide receiver for the Packers and failed because wide receivers sometimes aren't equipped as a player. They can be great at what they do, but asking them to be their number one doesn't always work out. That could be the truth with Tyler Boyd, but I'm not ready to say that because Tyler Boyd isn't Randall Cobb. And Tyler Boyd also, again, still has a very small sample size of asked to be the number one. And as he's not even been in the NFL that long, then I'm ready to write the book and say he can't succeed without A.J. Green on the field. NJNewJersey.com is reporting that Miles Sanders has, quote, looked the part so far at Eagles camp. They still have five running backs on the roster. I have a quick tip for anyone thinking about drafting Miles Sanders like more than where he's going right now. You want to spend a seventh round pick on Miles Sanders? I think that's fine. But other than that, you are wasting your time trying to figure out this Eagles backfield. Like there's no need to do it. Why do they, why does every single year people pretend like it's going to be different? Yeah, you remember this. We did it right after the NFL draft and people were going crazy. Miles Sanders was going around like RB 17 right after the NFL draft. And then about two weeks later, it properly fell. And people were like, oh yeah, we forgot. This is Doug Peterson. And we said this about JHI. And we said this about the guy before him. We said the guy before him and the guy before. Oh, it's going to be different. Doug Peterson is a committee backfield. They signed Darren Sproles. They brought Darren Sproles back, who Darren Sproles before last season was the only Doug Peterson running back to ever touch the ball 60% of the time. And it only happened three times. So we have all these numbers. We have all this information. People keep convincing themselves it's going to be different. If I had to put my odds on the best talent, actually, the best talent is definitively Miles Sanders. Like people also have hmm, diminished (laughs) what he did at Penn State because of the guy before him was Saquon Barkley. He should talent-wise lead this backfield. But it's Doug Peterson who all of a sudden the reports are also, oh, Jordan Howard's looked better in the passing game than people thought he could be. And then, as you mentioned, there's still five running backs on the depth chart. My advice, Pat, has always been on Miles Sanders to let somebody else draft him 
then wait for like week three where they're frustrated and we're ready to give them away for nothing or ready to drop them and then go get them for the second half of the season. So right now I have Miles Sanders in tier six of my rankings. That tier kicks off with Tevin Coleman. Then it's Lamar Miller, Chris Carson, then Miles Sanders. Does that sound about the range, like mid twenties, <laughs> late twenties running backs? That's exactly where I have them. I have uh, Darius Geis, Miles Sanders, Tevin Coleman, Tariq Cohen, Darrell Henderson, or Daryl Henderson, Deion Lewis, LaShawn. So I'm, I'm right there with you with all those guys. I'm a little bit higher on Chris Carson. Yeah, we'll get to Chris Carson here in a bit because there's a bit more news out of him. I'm trying to figure out where to reposition him in the rankings. But I want to get to Lamar Miller first. Texans, they didn't like what they saw from Donta Foreman. He had a bad work ethic. Take a hike, pal. He did sign in Indianapolis. We'll talk about that more in a second. But... We just look for different ways to write off Lamar Miller year after year after year. Is he, has he become the new Frank Gore? Uh, in a different way, that's a really good comparison. He has become the new Frank Gore, not because people were trying to write out Frank Gore because he was aging and this was going to be the last year and nobody wanted to be left holding the bag to use that cliche. But Lamar Miller, for a different reason, is in that same boat. It's like, hey, they're all three drafts over the weekend. The, the response is always like, huh? Lamar Miller, guess I'll take him. Or guess Lamar Miller, uh, I guess I'll bid 14 and get Lamar Miller, whatever. And it's always, nobody's ever excited about it. Nobody's ever happy about it. But you say we're always ready to write them off. And I think that's because it feels like the Texans are always ready to write them off. It's like they kind of seem to want to put Lamar Miller in this complimentary role, which I've even said before. But Deontay Foreman didn't show up, as you mentioned. He's already been cut. Behind them are two extremely late rookies in Connor Gillespie and Karen Higdon, who maybe Higdon looks like the age there. And then all of a sudden, Demara Crockett, undrafted free agent, they're, they're talking about now. So there's a mix behind them. But let's be honest about it. It looks like it's going to be the majority is Lamar Miller. And for 14 games last year, it was a mid, it was a fringy RB2. I actually, when I updated the projections, I actually have him for, it's about 220, 223 carries, 40 or so receptions. And I think that's the part that hurts Lamar Miller. So even if you look at him, he's never been that great in the passing game. And I think that keeps him as that low-end fringy running back, you know, two. Uh, even if you go back to two years ago, he's RB16. But if you look at those rankings from two years ago, running back, if people forget, there was a lot of injuries. I mean, we're talking about people that were in part-time shares finishing ahead of him just because of how bad the season was. That's always the Frank Gore comment. Like, that's the comment I like to make, too. Just the Frank Gore, oh, he finishes running back number 16 for the past four years. Like, yeah, because he played every game. If you look at it on a per-points per game basis he was like 42nd so that's not really helping your team and the big thing too is like Lamar Miller is going to have these huge games so maybe just play him on DraftKings uh, in isolated situations there's a spot that you see good or just play him every week because you know that he's going to have these spike games but even Deshaun Watson running like he has designed plays for himself rushing plays around the goal line that just hurts the bottom line of Lamar Miller who's middle tier to begin with but if he can't achieve that upside of getting all the goal line carries I'm not going to say it's not worth it because it depends on where he goes I just feel like he might be over overdrafted now because of this news and i'm with you on that and i think he's going to be slightly overdrafted he's fine as your rb3 but as you mentioned I, I have him barely six touchdowns and that's the concern too is that you know, just never know i'll compare him to somebody we both hate and call him the jared cook of running backs is the fact that you and I, for that point is you if you're drafting him just put him in your lineup every single week because that's what you have to accept with Lamar Miller. If you try to pick out the games because this matchup looks good or this matchup doesn't or whatever, it's almost like he doesn't have any rhyme or reason. It's like he could go get 180 yards and two touchdowns against the Bears and then go face you know a weak defense like the Giants last year and all of a sudden go 15 rushes for 30 yards. So it's just you got to put him in there every single week and just suck it up and take what he's going to give you. 
in Indianapolis, Donta Foreman signs. Uh, they waived who the hell did they wave? They waved Keith Ford, I think. Yeah, they waved Keith Ford. Yeah, they moved Spencer going. Ware to the pup list, so he's going to miss at least the first six games of the season. That still puts you know Naheem Hines, Jordan Wilkins in that backfield. I would think that if Foreman does work out, because clearly the Colts are trying to take a chance here, that if he ends up making this roster, that he would actually be the primary backup to Marlon Mack's role if anything happened to Marlon Mack. At least that would be my my take on it, because it feels like Hines has his role, Wilkins has his role. They both kind of showed last year they can't have the Marlon Mack 22 carries a game role, and Foreman's a pounder. Like, if you're up by a bunch, which the Colts should be this year, and you want to turn around and hand the ball off, Foreman seems to be, like, the most likely candidate to replace Mack if he sticks around. And I'm with you on that. And Hines is basically like that Chris Thompson, Theo Riddick's type role. They were talking about, you know, working him in the slot and that his role could be in jeopardy on a per game basis just because Paris Campbell, if he wins the slot, well, then where is Hines play? Because they want to put him on the line of scrimmage sometimes. So Hines, as you said, he has his role. And I agree with you that Foreman seems like the primary backup. I would say if he's anything even... 85% of what he used to be before blowing his Achilles. I think he supplants Wilkins and Wilkins could possibly be a game day inactive or even cut. But the thing that worries me a little bit about Marlon Mack here now is the same thing that are, had already worried me about Marlon Mack. As you go back to last year, 40% of it is 40 ish percent of his points came in games where they were up by two scores. That's like when he did the majority of his production. If they're up by two scores, and is it really going to still be Marlon Mack? If Deontay Foreman is okay, if Deontay Foreman is healthy and he does win that job, do they start bringing him in there? Because as you said, he's got more power. He's got that hammer. He's got maybe the goal line carries, which would probably be the worst case scenario for Marlon Mack. So I'm not moving down Marlon Mack a lot. I don't think he's a significant threat to his touches on an overall scenario. But it's enough that, you know, before where Marlon Mack was like, you know what, maybe I'll take Marlon Mack in front of Kerryon Johnson, in front of Deontay Freeman or Devonta Freeman and stuff like that. Now I, I might lean the other way just if Deontay Foreman wins. The, again, he has to be on this roster and win the job, but that would be my concern. Foreman, great hammer on that guy. Uh, what was the stat with Marlon Mack that he did uh, the majority of 40% of his fantasy scoring when they were already up by two touchdowns or in games yes. where they won by two touchdowns? No, when the in in the scenario when the game itself the the game scenario was they are up by two touchdowns whether it's you know they're already up by or two scores when they're already up by two scores in the second quarter or they're already up by two scores not until the fourth quarter is when they're up by two scores is when he did the majority of his production. Do you think that Paris Campbell took Lerbas to Indianapolis to take the job of Naheem Hines, dirty American? Is that what's <laughs> happening here? I think that's legitimately a concern, especially with the talk up of her uh, droppy hands over there. Devin Funch is supposedly getting that number two job locked down because Deion Kane's slow to return from an entire missed season of an injury. And then, of course, it's the rest of the guys like Chester Rogers, so forth. So but, per, per, yeah, I almost said Paris Campbell. Paris, <laughs> his name is Paris Campbell. He smoked a long cigarette. He does not like your American smoking law. So he fits best in that slot, a big play option as of now. He has time to develop and can be more than that. But that's the, as you mentioned, that's the concern for Naheem Hines is where Naheem Hines will see work when they're down a little bit more than Marlon Mack as we point to last year. But if this team is what it is and what we expect it to be in contention for most games and winning most games, 
that already leads to a decrease in passing opportunities for Hines. And then if Paris Campbell is in the slot, that's even... I, I haven't owned Hines anywhere, even a full PPR. I think this could be a bust season for him just because I don't see how many games he really has startable value. Yeah, it's a game flow situation when it comes to Naheem Hines. That's all we saw last season. And even when Mac came back, his role got diminished just to begin with. He wasn't seeing the same amount of snap share as he was like over the first seven, eight weeks of the season. So, yeah, I just don't see unless something happens to Mac. Like if Foreman's in there, you might actually see more of Hines if Mac goes down, but not to the extent of you know replacing Marlon Mack and taking over the lead role. But he might end up playing like 35, 40 percent of the snaps. He's just involved in passing downs. Right, exactly. All right, other news. Damian Williams, still not practicing right now. Uh, And Carlos Hyde is playing in his place. Andy Reid, quote, sounds frustrated when discussing Damian Williams' hamstring injury. And this is not even talking about, like, the concussion issues that he's in the past. What are we doing with Damian Williams? I've moved him behind Josh Jacobs in my rankings. And that's fine. I I haven't moved him just yet because any coach is going to be frustrated with an injury. And like that. So my question is, and we're not going to know the answer is it's bad if he's frustrated in the fact that he thinks Damian Williams should be back and should be pushing to get on the field. And maybe he's nursing it more than he should. On the flip side, maybe he's just frustrated because he wants his lead running back on the field because all the other talk that we've seen so far is, yes, we've heard Carlos Hyde look good in his opportunities. Darwin Thompson is making some noise. But we also watch from the OC. We watch the talk from the team, and everything has been the preseason games are going to determine the depth chart behind Damian Williams. Damian Williams is the lead guy in this offense who behind him is going to be determined. Everything is talking about and saying it without saying it, sometimes saying it with saying it is that Damian Williams is the lead guy. Obviously he has to be healthy for that. And obviously the risk of the floor of Damian Williams being an RB one, the floor is he's a complete bust and you drop them by week five because I know all the bads. Like you, the thing is, is you're either in on Damian Williams or you're not. You could poke all the holes and say he's never had more than 50 carries. He's never led a backfield before. He looked terrible in Miami. This injury, blah, blah, blah. We could also go to the positive side and say, you know what? It doesn't even really matter if you're an elite top 10 talent. You're in this offense. That's all that matters. And actually, if you watch Damian Williams last year, those last few games, okay, the other side is you could even point like, okay, he had fresher legs, whatever. He fits this offense very well for his style. On top of it, there are positives and negatives. Carlos Hyde, as I told you, I always believed was the signing of if something goes wrong with Damian Williams. Darwin Thompson is a pass-catching option. I'm not a big fan of Daryl Williams. All that being said is Carlos Hyde also is coming off 3.3 yards per carry last year. Granted, not the best situations, but Carlos Hyde is starting to look not very good at this point of his career. So I still say, Williams, if you're scared of the risk, if you're scared of the injury you're drafting today, I certainly understand it. If he's out there for week two of the preseason, it's going to be locked and loaded. He's still a top 10 running back, in my opinion. In redraft, standard redraft leagues uh, with 12 teams and like your regular leagues, Carlos Hyde's going like the 14th round. I would take just, I, I have, I imagine myself, I envision myself having more Carlos Hyde on my team than Damian Williams on my team, just because I told you how much I like Josh Jacobs, which means pressed into that situation that I'll end up taking Jacobs. Therefore, I won't have any Williams. But I can see myself with Hyde because, like you mentioned, it doesn't really matter who you put back there. You just want right. the guy who is back there. Right. And this is one of those scenarios where if I draft Damian Williams, I'll consider pulling the trigger on Carlos Hyde a little bit earlier than his ADP, even potentially two rounds. And it's not because I like handcuffing because, you know, I don't believe in handcuffing. I just believe in building running back depth. But this early, that's not even technically handcuffing. You're basically giving yourself insurance that you have the lead option for the Chiefs if Williams can't get on the field. So it's the point of 
why not draft Hyde anyway? So if you have Damian Williams, we'll not just make that insurance and say, you know what, I'll take Carlos Hyde over an Alexander Mattinson or a Rykel Armstead, who are in similar scenarios if the lead option goes down, but at least you're covering yourself for the same team. I think that's a really interesting point about handcuffs. Not all handcuffs are created equally. You really want to have that actual upside. Like just having the role is one thing. And that's always a huge positive that if one guy can step into the other guy's role and that role is playing 85% of the snaps, you're going to want that guy as a good handcuff. But I'm thinking like Latavius Murray Carlos Hyde and Daryl Henderson are probably the three right now. Like, does Chase Edmonds crack that list? Like, does Chase Edmonds become the guy in Arizona if David Johnson goes down? Or do they use some sort of committee? No, I think they would use Chase Edmonds. Uh, You're also talking to somebody who was a fan of Chase Edmonds coming out of college. So that might be a little bit slanted and there might be some people out who don't believe it. But that's, I'll give you a good comparison. Let's go back to the Cowboys. That's why when people ask me, who should I back up Ezekiel Elliott with handcuff wise? I'm like, nobody. Because I don't think it's going to be anybody. That's the thing. Is like, as you just said, not all roles are created equal. I actually think Alexander Matson could be the lead if Dalvin Cook was to get banged up again. And that's why I was saying the same thing about Reichel Armstead. But I would put those guys on a separate tier below the ones you just mentioned. I think there's almost a tier of handcuffs. And again, it's not the handcuffs as in I want to back up my guy. But those upside potentials is you got to look at if the lead guy goes down, does the backup option step in as the bell cow for the team? And that's why I put the bell cow in quotes. Or is he going to be part of a committee like I think we would see with the Cowboys? Like I think we would see with multiple teams. Like a good one would be Saquon Barkley. You're not backing him up with Wayne Goldman because they're still holding on to hope for Paul Perkins. They brought in Rod Smith over from the Cowboys. I don't think it's going to be any main guy. And even if it is, it's also not going to be the level of Saquon Barkley because he can overcome the deficiencies of the Giants offense. None of those guys are going to be able to. So as you said, not all are created equal. If you're looking for one, whether it's your own handcuff or somebody else's to draft and snipe from them, you need to look at, I'd say there's a handful of options of guys who could be the main option. Marquise Goodwin is on the cut bubble in San Francisco right now. At least that's what reports are saying. That would leave Dante Pettis, Debo, your boy, uh, Trent Taylor in the slot, and Jalen, you heard, is probably the top (laughs) four receivers right now. Um, And that's with, like, Jordan Matthews and Kendrick Bourne and Richie James still kind of, like, lurking about on the roster. Richie James, I believe, returns kicks. So maybe, you know, he'll end up just making, making the roster as, like, a special teamer or something like that. I don't find it surprising because they would save money on the cap because I think it's like a $3 million savings. And Goodwin or Marquis Goodwin didn't even get his money from winning that like weird sprinting competition he did over yeah, in Asia. Hey, he needs to get that million bucks before he's out of money here after the Niners stopped paying him. But what do we make of the wide receiver situation in San Francisco? It strikes me as Kendrick Bourne is the guy that you would want to own. I wouldn't reach on him. People are going to be pumped up for Debo because he's a rookie. But... It just seems like there's a lot of mouths to feed, especially with the amount that they'll throw to Kyle Jerzyk out of the backfield as well. That is just one of these offenses where you want Kittle in the passing game and maybe Pettis, and that's about it. I think that's about it. And it's funny you say that because somebody in, in the comments is like, why do you hate Dante Pettis? Because I think I have him at like 40. Hey, I'll, I'll tell you real quick for the peek behind the curtain for everybody. Why yeah, do you I even, are you obligated to read the comments? Because everyone knows I'm very famous for not reading the comments on anything I do because I personally don't give a shit what anyone thinks. Uh, if you're tuning <laughs> into me, you're hearing what I say. You might disagree with me and think I'm a fucking moron, but that's fine. And you can say that. And you might be absolutely correct when you make these statements, but I don't want to read that stuff. No, no, no. So I'm not, I'm not completely obligated, but we do it because you're paying. We, we kind of see it as like, look, we want to take care of you. You bought a subscription. You're part of us. 
we consider, you know, like I actually tweeted out a few weeks ago is, you know, how I used to be, I used to answer everybody on Twitter because I, I wanted to, because I said, Hey, look, you took the time to talk to me. I kind of treat it as like, you came up to me on the street. I'm not going to ignore you. And I put out a tweet a couple of weeks ago, said, you know what, from the volume of last year and what I've already learned from the baseball season, that's not going to be feasible for this year. I just don't have, I, I, I don't exist long enough in a day to be able to do that. So the priority is going to be the people that are subscribed or in the comments. So yes, I do have to but i don't have to i do it for because we want to appreciate and help them but all that being said is pettis at 42 again for first of all wide receiver once you get into this tier as you and i talked about a few weeks ago that's a huge tier and it's very flat it's almost similar to the quarterbacks from like six through 15 or 18 or whatever it is but the thing with pettis is like let's talk about this receiving core we all know whoever's the number one wide receiver is still technically the number two option behind George Kittle. You mentioned the fact that this backfield, and you didn't even bring up Jarek McKinnon, who they had an opportunity to get away from scot-free because of the injury, and they still brought him back anyway for a good chunk of money. tells me they're going to be using him, and they're going to be using him in the passing game. So it's like your competition here is it's not even just clear by yourself of receivers. You're hoping for the number two, and that's Pettis, but people are drafting him way ahead of that. You know how I feel about it. And the reason I feel great about Debo Samuel is because he's a terrific route runner, which should help him get on the field. But Debo Samuel, uh, Taylor's been working with Wes Welker, so he's getting talked up for that. Uh, as you mentioned, Kedrick Bourne, all the rest is like, I just don't think it, I think it's almost going to be like a wide receiver by committee. But if I had to, it would be Pettis, but I'm not drafting him where he's going because we still go back to how much have we seen from Garoppolo in this offense? I mean, we've seen enough to know that he's like the you know, top three quarterback in the league, probably. Yeah, of course. He's, he's going to be the Patrick Mahomes of this year, just without the rushing. I just, I, th- I do think that Garoppolo is pretty good. I don't know if he's a top 10 quarterback, but he's probably right around the middle, maybe upper middle of the league. He still look. Let's look at his numbers. He still wasn't a high touchdown ratio quarterback. So. No, but 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 if there's one thing that can really flip from year to year to year, like at one right. point Marcus Mariota was the highest volume per dropback throwing uh, in per passing touchdowns. He was on like Aaron Rodgers level, and then all of a sudden the next year he was like the worst in the league. No, remember when he had a perfect passer rating inside the red zone and he had like zero interceptions? Do you remember that? Wasn't that two years ago? Well, well he still does have a perfect pass rating throwing to himself. <laughs> that is true ppr for for quarterbacks uh the other thing is i did want to talk about this backfield for a second tevin coleman's getting all the first team reps uh just because that jerick mckinnon's not playing we talked about zurich uh and san francisco is still one of the few teams because of the receiving ability of use check that he can just be on the field at any time he can split out they can use him as a blocker he's very good blocker and he can be a pass blocker and lead blocker if they do want to run but it seems like matt breda is now like working as like a chess piece around the board like san francisco has way too many people it's almost like the eagles backfield like kittle and that's it like with the niners it just coleman i would want but again these aren't reachable guys like if they it's like the lamar miller thing if they fall to you that's great you can take them and feel like okay about it, but like you're not going out of your way to get any of these guys. No, but there are some people who are out there doing that with Tevin Coleman. And look, I understand the excitement, the upside, but it's something I've said. I don't remember if we did it on the show with you, but it's something I've said before is everybody's like, well, he's back with Kyle Shanahan and we expect all these great things. And you just, he just needs to be in this offense. Well, two things is one is he got his opportunity last year and the Steve Sarkeesian offense two years ago was basically, he was just running the Shanahan offense and he didn't change it all that much last year to where it's not like he's going to a completely different offense and a completely different system and usage. He's still going to be very similar to what it was last year. So Tevin Coleman is the guy I want, but you brought up, brought up Brita, and it sounds like 
that one of the three of McKinnon, Breida, and Coleman is going to be inactive every single week from recent reports that sounds like over the athletic is the fact that because, as you mentioned, Juszczyk has his role. And then they said Raheem Mostert, they like in the special teams. So it's almost kind of like those two are locked. So it comes down to two out of three. And if you're talking about two out of three, I just brought up the fact that they could get rid of McKinnon if they wanted to, brought him back for a ton of money anyway. And he's a great passing game option. It sounds like Brita's actually the odd man out on game day. I don't think they cut him. But for the people that are taking Brita as like that ninth, tenth round, I just – I, I understand it because he looked really good at the la- at last season, but I actually think that could almost be a wasted pick at this point. I do enjoy that anytime a running back name gets brought up, it's the potential to be cut. That for a while is like every running back was going to Tampa. Like, oh, Dante <laughs> Foreman definitely going to Tampa. Now it's Houston. It's like Matt Breda. He's on the bubble. Or oh, now he's looking good. Uh, the Texans are probably going to trade for him. It's like they're not. That's that's not what. That is not what's going to happen here. People act like the NFL is the NBA, and these things happen. Like, where, how many trades do we see happen every single year? Not to mention, go back to Tampa Bay real quick. I kept saying this. Look at Tampa Bay's cap. Like, I don't understand why people are like, oh, yeah, they're going to go sign Melvin Gordon after they trade for him. Like, no, that's not feasible for what they just did. And, like, again, to go back to as you're saying, and like they think it's funny, it's like, they just, oh, well, they'll trade for him. They'll, they'll trade for this guy. We'll trade for that. Trades don't happen that often. Chris Carson reports from The Athletic, Jake, your primary place of employment, reporting that Chris Carson looking good at camp is what we heard last year. And I actually had, I think I had Carson on every single team last year in a year of very terrible calls. That was one. I actually kind of, I have way too invested in the Seahawks, but the running game is where you want to be. Should we just say, you know what, this is going to happen again. And he's going out of value right now. And you should take him. He is. And it's going to happen again. Also, that doesn't mean Rashad Penny can't be more involved if healthy, but at this point that's starting to become a significant question with Rashad Penny, Uh, but Penny should see more work in the passing game. He should see more touches just because this is such a run centric offense I mean, at this point of what the NFL is, this almost feels like it's a team from 15 years ago. But the point being is, even if Penny gets his work, because of how much this team runs and the balance and the question marks at a wide receiver, I mean, really, it's a balanced offense, and balanced offenses run heavy these days, is if Rashad Penny is still involved, Carson's still going to probably get the volume per game that he was seeing last year, even with a healthy Penny. So as you're just saying, the point is, is Carson is going by a value. If he's healthy, the biggest thing with Chris Carson, I know I just said about Rashad Penny needs to be healthy, but Chris Carson has also been banged up for the majority of his career. Like he's always nursing something. He's missing games here and there. And then he's back the next week and then bangs it. Like Chris Carson never feels safe. Like I always feel like if I put him out there one way, like I'll put it this way. You talk about DraftKings. I will never play Chris Carson DraftKings. I feel like he's NASCAR. Like he's going to be gone on the fifth lap. He's going to get hurt in the first quarter. Chris Carson, but for seasonal, your point if he plays even 14 games, he is a value right now because he's leading this backfield. He is the lead option, and this lead option in this backfield, you know, offensive line questions, offense, and us a whole questions, no matter what it is. This is the offense. This is the run offense. This is the offense we know. Chris Carson looks great. He looked great last year. He's a value right now. Nine rushing touchdowns last year. All of them came from inside the 10-yard line. He had 28 attempts from inside the 10. Like, if he's active and he is on the field, that is who is getting the ball when the Seahawks get close to the goal line. Like, that's a guy you want to own. No, there's no – and that's the biggest part about it. There's no question about it. There's not an option. Even Rashad Penny's healthy. Rashad Penny's take it from 20 yards out and score. He's not the one that you turn to at five yards, 10 yards into the end zone. 
The Raiders look like they're going with Hunter Renfro, who sounds like someone who would have been on like a TGI Friday show in the early 90s with that name. Bro, uh, he's gonna... The Padres have an outfielder with that name. That's what's throwing you off. No, maybe. It, it sounds like some mix, like a guy who would have like guest starred on Boy Meets World and then like would have shown up on like Step by Step at some point. Or maybe he would have been in a boy band in like 1993. Wasn't Hunter his brother's name or like the actor's name of his brother? Wasn't Hunter his name? Yeah, and then you had like Brad Renfro and you put them together and you have Hunter Renfro. He's the slot receiver of the Oakland Raiders now. But since Derek Carr doesn't throw the ball more than like minus three yards down the field, could this just be like a PPR suck hole where – he is definitely worth having on your team in all PPR formats. No, look, because let's be honest. Let's go back a couple of years and remember Derek Carr of that quote unquote breakout season when everybody the next year was like, oh, Derek Carr's on his way to being a top 10 quarterback because this is why I keep taking Tyrell Williams and only non PPR or best ball. I and mean, you know, I hate the best ball argument, but the point is here with Tyrell Williams is why he's a value in my opinion is because people forgot Cooper and Crabtree were both top 15 wide receivers that year both of them were in the top 15 so Derek Carr not even throwing for well over 4,000 yards I don't even know if he threw for 4,000 that year can still target his wide receivers and get some decent action out of them and that's even further downfield than your joke that you're making I know you're you're right about it but he can throw downfield all that being said as I think the majority of the work is going to the backfield if you look at the top two being Tyrell Williams and uh, the fact that they now have Antonio Brown if healthy uh, Hunter Renfro is intriguing, but I think we're we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I like Hunter Renfro, and I like the role that he has as the slot wide receiver, but I, I'm looking for 2020. I'm not looking for this year. Okay, let's get into some quick hitting bits of news here before I let you get back to work. Aaron Jones, hamstring, has not been practicing. You worried? I'm always worried about Aaron Jones, but that's I don't have him because you know me. I think his touches are going to settle in that 15 to 18 range for this reason. I don't think he can handle 20, and I think the Packers know that and want to keep him healthy because it will be some of the most efficient and most amazing 15 to 18 per touch numbers you've ever seen. But I don't think he's the bell cow in what we consider a bell cow, especially when it comes to rushing touchdowns. So I'm not concerned because I don't own him anywhere, but I would be concerned if you're out there and you're one of those people that considers him a fringe RB1. I, I have him in tier three of my running back rankings right now. It kicks off with Melvin Gordon, Josh Jacobs, Damian Williams, then Aaron Jones, then Marlon Mack, then Todd Gurley. Is that around where he should be going? And should I have carry on Johnson in that tier? So I would have Kerryon Johnson on that tier, and I would not have Aaron Jones on that tier. I have him in the next one. I actually chop off at Kerryon Johnson at 16, and then my next tier is where Melvin Gordon actually is, is Leonard Fournette, Aaron Jones, Melvin Gordon, Derrick Henry, and your boy Mark Ingram with uh, David Montgomery. Uh, oh, flea market. Living rooms, bedrooms, dinettes, we got it. You need it, you'll find it. It's just like, it's just like, amen, all. Hey, hey. I have White, Devonta Freeman, and Leonard Fournette in the tier four. So I'm going to move Carrion Johnson. Would you rather have Carrion Johnson or Melvin Gordon? As of today, Carrion Johnson. Okay. Josh Jacobs or Melvin or Carrion uh, Johnson? Oh, it's Josh Jacobs. I have Josh Jacobs at 12. Yeah, I think I have him at number 10 now. I'm starting to buy the hype here. I got, I'm going to put Damian Williams ahead of Carrion Johnson. I'll put Carrion Johnson ahead of Aaron Jones. Uh, right behind Damian Williams. Yeah, that, sound, yeah, yeah, yeah. that sound good? You, you talked me into it. Just I, I, The one problem is that like Detroit might stink, man. Matt Patricia might just be an atrocious coach. 
<laughs> no, and the thing is, too, is like Patricia, he's coming from that. Everybody has a role. That's what they brought in CJ Anderson to have the Laguerre Blunt role. I've been in a lot of PPR leagues. I have such high ownership of Ty Johnson right now because at this point of his career, he's probably more explosive than Theo Reddick, or at least in the con- in the conversation for it. But he can also go between the tackles a little bit better than Theo Riddick can. So he doesn't have a ton of passing game work that we've seen from his career, but he is a good pass catcher, similar to like guys that come at LSU, is that he just don't get used in that fashion. So I think he's going to fill the Theo Riddick role. And even if he gets only the 75 targets that Theo saw in 14 games and it's over 16 games, that's still RB3-4 PPR value. Yeah, see, I can see that. Next one, Christian McCaffrey, his efficiency needs to go up because Coach Ron Rivera says the team plans to limit Christian McCaffrey's plays, but not his 326 touches from last year. Here's a quick tip. Christian McCaffrey basically played 100% of Carolina's snaps last year. Even if you knock that down to 80, he ain't getting to 326 touches. It's just not possible. No, but I'm not concerned about it at all because we also heard last year that Christian McCaffrey, according to the team, you know, was going to be the lead option, but he wasn't necessarily going to handle all the pounding and all the work because they bring in C.J. Anderson. Like, look, Christian McCaffrey, I'm not concerned what bit. You could point the news any which different direction about the he has to be more efficient. The touches are coming back, but the snaps are coming back. The touches are going to stay the same. Like, well, Christian McCaffrey's fine. I have zero concern about Christian McCaffrey. I- I'm with you. I just thought that statement was kind of ridiculous. It is kind of funny, but you know what? To be honest with you, the one thing I will say is the Christian McCaffrey bulking up. That's and it's only a one out of 10. That would be my only concern because we've seen running backs bulk up before and it's actually been a negative. Like a lot of times you want to see them bulk up in their legs because it gives them better balance and explosiveness and it makes them tougher to bring down. When you bulk up up top, sometimes that's the deficiency of your ability. Miami, early timeshare prediction for the backfield could be 45-40-15 split for Drake, Balage, and whoever else. is. It says secondary backs, but someone else, basically. The not Ray Patterson of the Miami Dolphins backfield. I still think Drake is just the, still the guy you want to own. I think Balage is just getting a bit too much. He can bit too much smoke blowing up his ass right now. <laughs> Balage is getting the group think of industry Twitter. And it's like, look, to be fair... He's a great guy. That's why he is who he is. But Matthew Barry's leading the charge. And anytime you have somebody with almost a million followers leading the charge on any player, the conversation is going to start to spread and become wildfire to a degree. And that's where the Balazs like, look, you, you can look to that team of Mike Clay that works with him who doesn't like Balazs. I mean, just look at right there. You have an argument within the industry at the same company, at the same site, who's saying, well, I like him, I don't. But Matthew Barry is who Matthew Barry is. And he got to where he is because of where he is. But I'm with you. I'm a Drake guy. The thing with Balaj is I actually think his athleticism and his ability, natural ability, is better than Drake. The problem with Balaj, I don't think he's a good running back. I don't think he knows how to play the position well. And just watching him, I think that's the biggest thing. It's almost kind of like Jameis Winston to this point of his career at quarterback. He's not a very good decision maker and doesn't seem to see the field very well. Now, could that change? Obviously, that's probably one of your least concerns because you could hopefully coach that up. You'd rather him have the explosiveness, but I'm with you. I, I took Drake, as I mentioned, in that auction, in the flex auction. I took Drake, I think, for 13, and Balaj went for two or three bucks more than he did. And I was like, good, I'll do it. No problem. 
Adam Schefter is reporting that Derrick Henry is dealing with a calf strain right now, might miss two weeks. I wasn't big on Derrick Henry to begin with just because I don't like his inconsistent nature. He's a better DraftKings play than he is a guy that you want to own on your fantasy team, at least that's what I'm seeing. I think that those final four games where he won people fantasy titles, actually he eliminated most people from the playoffs because he was garbage <laughs> all year. So you won your consolation bracket with Derrick Henry, but I I've started to push Dion Lewis up a little bit. Dion Lewis is one of my favorite back end targets this year. Cause a, I think Dion Lewis is still really, really, really good. And this team is not going to be good and down in a lot of games. And that's going to mean Dion Lewis is on the field. So it's funny you say that because it, it was a combination and this isn't like backpat. I'm just telling people why there's reason behind it. Like, so Dion Lewis was the combination of last year's trash, dumpster diving, whatever you call it. And also the opportunity in front of him of one of my favorite late sleepers, or quote unquote sleepers. Everybody knows who he is, but was one of my most owned players until this news came out. And I'm still getting a decent amount of them at this point, just not as much as I was is for everything you just said. You talk about what we talked about early in the show about handcuffs and the guys who could step into a lead role. If anything happens to Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis is going to get the majority of the touches. He won't get 90, 80% like he's on the Steelers, but he's going to get the majority of work and will be the lead option. And people forgot that he was a very good running back before last year. And that misuse, a lot of it came from Matt LaFleur and this offense and just being a mess in general. Derrick Henry is an injury concern, not just because of what's already going on, but because he's such a big running back and because he runs upright as a big running back, it's going to lead itself to potential injuries more than most running backs, similar to Philip Lindsay as the complete 180 opposite is when you're that small. So I'm with you. I wasn't a lot on Derrick Henry. The touchdown upside is really what we're looking for. We're hoping for some of those big games like that great DraftKings play, but Deion Lewis is starting to deservedly creep up the board. I'm with you. Have a good amount of shares. I'm going to keep drafting them in those mid rounds because there's a lot of opportunity if something continues to happen with Henry. It's funny looking at the numbers from Derrick Henry last year and looking at the numbers from Chris Carson last year, there's really not that much of a difference. No, it's not. It's, it's a really good point, but don't you feel better about the consistency and the opportunity for Chris Carson? I do. I, I like the situation that he's actually in better. Henry might be a better overall talent. I'm not going to try to dispute that because I think that he is. But the role that Carson has on Seattle, the draft value that you're getting on him, he's probably going you know, double the rounds that Derrick Henry is going, or maybe even more depending on how high people are on Derrick Henry, is that you mind the exact same amount of production out of Carson that, or even let's say you get 85% of the production from Carson that you think that you're going to get from henry you can take one in the ninth round or the other guy in the fourth round i'd rather have the guy in the ninth round 100 percent, not even a question next one theo riddick signs with the broncos that's probably it's curtains for you Devonte booker uh, how do you see this backfield shaking down because there's been a lot of royce freeman buzz i don't think you want to own uh theo riddick i think that he is just more of a detriment to those lead two guys yeah, I think that's what it's going to be. Is it just you down you downgrade Philip Lindsay a little bit and not so much Freeman. I think Freeman just kind of holds where he is. He was never going to be that significant of a usage in the passing game. I mean, he can do some work, but this was looking like it was going to be a split backfield with Philip Lindsay in the lead and Devontae Freeman or Devontae. No, yeah, Devontae Freeman. No. Royce Why Freeman. Am I all of a sudden, thank you, Royce Freeman. And like I was mixing with so many guys with the same names. Royce Freeman getting into the mix more than this year because if you remember last year, Royce Freeman was all the rage in draft season and for deserved reasons. It looked like he was going to be the lead option in this backfield. And nobody was, even the most staunch supporters of Philip Lindsay were saying, hey, he might have us like a basically like a, 
a poor man's Theo Riddick role. Like that was the most positive news you heard. Nobody expected Philip Lindsay last year. But after seeing what happened with Philip Lindsay and part of the concerns of Philip Lindsay being that BMI and being asked to touch the ball that many times, you just open yourself up to injury concerns. I think we all expect with Joe Flacco coming in and, you know, his passing game ability being questionable that Philip Lindsay was going to take a little bit of a step back. Royce Freeman was going to get more opportunities this year, have a little bit more of a balance. But if Theo Riddick's involved, Theo Riddick's going to take a little bit, maybe 15% at most away from uh, Philip Lindsay. But now Philip Lindsay goes from being a mid RB2, even with the decreased workload to now he's a fringe RB2 with a lot of risk on him. Next one. Patriots wide receivers. Here's what I got. Um, it's being reported from Boston Sports Journal that Jacoby Myers is Tom Brady's favorite target in the training camp and the practices so far in the preseason. Also, Josh Gordon has reapplied for reinstatement and they signed Cameron Meredith. What, what are we yeah, doing here? Just drafting Julian Edelman? I don't want to kill Harry. I'm not, I want no part of that. No, you're drafting Julian Edelman and maybe messing around with the running back. You know me, the the, the cheapest running back in as of today is Damian Harris. But I still want. I, you know, I think James White's still like a legitimate draft pick. In PPR oh, and, and a half point or a full point PPR, absolutely. Especially because he's not even being drafted close to where he finished last year because everybody's always worried about the consistency of that backfield. But I'm with you. James White is – so Jamie, James White, Damian Harris, and Julian Edelman are the only three I'm drafting today. Maybe your friend Matt Lacostitute, the, the Lacostitute, like maybe the 14th round is just a flyer because if he plays as the main tight end, there's some opportunity there. But this is just a mess, and I'm, I'm not looking to deal with it at all because, as you mentioned, Nikhil Harry – has been outplayed and hasn't looked good so far. Now, is there still plenty of time for that to change course and him to overcome that? They spent a high draft pick on him and win the number two job. But even if he wins the number two job, I don't think it's a real number two job. I'm going to compare this back to this early Super Bowl years for the Patriots where it was Deion Branch and a bunch of dudes. Like, that's what I kind of feel like it's going to be this year. It's going to be Julian Edelman and a bunch of dudes. One week, it's going to be Harry. Next week, it's going to be Maurice Harris. The week after that, Jacoby Myers, who, by the way, has some intriguing talent, especially in the red zone, who's a developing player because he was a quarterback before this and not immediately before this, but he's still learning the position. He's still developing as a wide receiver. But if Josh Gordon comes back, I guess he could be the number two, but there's no way. I've never done the Josh Gordon thing since he's been suspended, and I'm not going to do it. I'm never. I'm just not going to. I'm not going to put him on my team and hope he can somehow play 16 games, not get suspended, or not decide to quit himself. 16th round, if he is not drafted, you're not taking Josh Gordon? No. I, the I, only way I'm taking Josh Gordon, no. 22, team, 22 round best ball, maybe in like the 20th. All right. Got to two bits of tight end news before we get out of here. One is Trey Burton. He may not play in the preseason because Matt Nagy wants him fresh for week one. Is this a nice buy low on Trey Burton after he was ranked as like a top seven tight end last year now no one is drafting him no because trey burton's the frank gore of tight ends he only got there because he's just played 16 games and got through you know whatever was it a full 16 games it was 15 it was up there he just happened to play the entire season in a miserable miserable year for tight ends where if you put him in most other years at tight end and especially on a points per game basis he's not even inside the top 15 i i haven't been on trey burton this entire time and do he want he wants him 100 for week one I want to see Trey Burton healthy, period. And even then, I'm still not that excited. Uh, in Jacksonville, Jeff, that's got to be Swaim, is the unquestioned <laughs> starter for the Jaguars right now. I think people are sleeping on this offense a little bit and really underestimating just the boost that Nick Foles over Blake Bortles would give you at quarterback. Not to say that Nick Foles is like the best quarterback in the league, but imagine just having like a 
average to slightly below average quarterback under center for Jacksonville, how much of an improvement that is. And we know Foles likes to throw to tight ends. Like, why can't Swain be someone? I'm not saying he's a top 10 tight end, but he should be no. in that mix of like that next tier, guys. He is, and he's in the next tier, guys. That even well, the next next tier. I'd put him in the conversation of the tier of the aging vets that I want no part of. I'm not drafting Greg Olson. I'm not drafting Jimmy Graham. I'm not drafting Jason Witten. Who this? I don't care how good he looks coming back from a year. Like all those guys. This goes back to the conversation we had earlier in the show. Why are you drafting those guys? What's the upside of them that they show you seventy percent of who they used to be? And even then, what is it? Jeff Swaim could surprise everybody and break out. Is there a better chance that he's not relevant? Absolutely. But I'd rather just take that upside because if it does bust, guess what? I'll go to the waiver wire and I'll find one of those three tight ends or another one that's out there similar to them. So I'm with you on Jeff Swain. Uh, the wide receiver core, I think D.D. Westbrook, you, you know, D.D. Westbrook's the clear option. After that, I'm taking flyers because you mentioned the Nick Foles thing. I'm taking flyers on like D.J. Chark and Marquise Lee and Chris Conley because somebody's going to get that number two role and the number two role is going to be better than it has been on that team for the past two, three, four years. I updated my tight end rankings and moved Swaim one spot behind Austin Hooper to number 14. That's ahead of the guys like wow. Ricky Seals-Jones, Noah Fant, Jordan Reed, Chris Herndon. I would have Herndon a lot higher if he wasn't suspended for four games, but like tight end's not good. Like after the first six guys, it kind of sucks. And then there's like a little mini tier of like Njoku and Ebron and Delaney Walker and Jack Doyle. And then it's just like, I don't think that Austin Hooper is very good. And there's a lot of guys on that team. Yeah, also Hooper's getting talked up all the time, oh, too. Oh, great. Like, Everyone's getting talked up. It's yeah, fantastic. Potential breakout year. Like, it, it is. And I think it's almost like a pick your poison at that point. It's like, who do you believe in offense and potential breakout-wise? If you believe it's Jeff Swam, I'm not going to tell you you're crazy because, as you mentioned, the position as a whole, this is why I, I kind of like the idea of a wide receiver tight end flex instead of a tight end. Oh, no. You, you're now making it too easy for yourself. I don't no, want no, no, that. No, no, no. I'm not making it too easy. This just opens up the conversation of just somebody we just talked about. Now you can have the conversation of Chris Conley versus Kyle Rudolph. It's not like you're moving. It's not like you're starting a wide receiver every single week. I did this in one league and the entire year, the guy started a tight end and a tight end spot and the tight end in the flex because he fell into George Kittle and had already drafted Zach Ertz. Now, obviously that's a little bit of a weird scenario, but if you drafted Vance McDonald and fell into a George Kittle this year, you'd still start him both so i'm not saying it's making it easier it just opens up the conversation mostly for the bye weeks mostly so you're not starting you know the will disley's of the world i mean walt disley you gotta start that guy now the tight end spot is the tight end spot it's not tight end slash wide receiver that's stupid I just, I think it's an interesting. I think it's been fun. I think it's another one where people just automatically want to crap on it, but once they try it, it's like, oh, it's better than I thought it would be. No, that's just, I don't want to try so hard. I I, I, I don't want to have to make a good waiver wire pickup. I don't have to roll the dice so on this guy. That's all it is. No, because you know how it is. You get to the Disleys and... Yeah. and, and you right. know what? You don't draft right. Your team gets hurt. That's the price no, no, you it's pay. Not, it's not even drafting right. It's just you're getting to those heavy bye weeks, especially the 16 bye weeks, and it's not so much the fact that you can't make a good waiver wire pickup i'm not saying that but you could pick the wrong tight end and still fall into hey he had 10 yards for a touchdown and finished as a tight end one. all you need is a touchdown and he finishes a tight end one yeah fantasy is supposed to be fun it's not supposed to be the most it predictable is. thing in the world and like no, crap crap shoots like that i mean you've already made the case to get rid of kickers i'm with you i'm not i'm not in on kickers i hate kickers as much as you do but that's an element of randomness that i can take out tight end i think that's a bridge too far and that's fine. It's just, it's something that's it. Look, it's in one out of the 73 leagues I play in. It's just, it's interesting. 
too many leagues also I'm really i'm trying to play like two this year and just dedicate my my life to gambling and playing DraftKings. i was past two in like april this is why i stay away from the stuff thank god for the pga it really it really distracts me from having to get into these best ball leagues in april i have no time for that tennessee everyone looks good in camp except apparently for aj brown um does this mean we should be taking another look at Corey davis as like kind of reassess our opinion on him Corey Davis and, you know, I like the fact of maybe we get I'm, into the I'm Taiwan betting. Taylor news. No, I was going to say Taiwan Taylor. I like Delaney Walker, I think, is great value this year, by the way. And, yes, he's aging, but it is his first significant injury in quite some time who was almost top five or was top five almost every single year for a while there. Uh, but, yes, Corey Davis, look, Corey Davis for multiple reasons. Corey Davis for the fact of he was, again, the consensus number one wide receiver in that draft class. Some people wanted to say Mike Williams, but he's pretty much the consensus number one. Has an immense amount of talent. The offense and the quarterback play has been part of the detriment to his ability to perform on the field, as has been his ability to stay on the field and get some rapport and consistency going. But if there's an opportunity for Corey Davis to see 130 140 targets. I mean, I don't see how you get that even. Well, here's a perfect example. Devin Funches only catching half of his balls. If he had 140 targets, finishes as a top 25 wide receiver. So Corey Davis, if he's getting 130, the volume alone, even if it's from poor quarterback play, and even if it's questionable ability from the quarterback and Marcus Mariota or possibly Tannehill, whatever it might be, 130 targets is going to put him in the top 25 conversation. Last guy, Trent Williams, says he might hold out the entire season for the Washington Redskins. They had a bad offensive line to begin with. Uh, their offense is not going to be very good. I had Dr. Jesse Morris on the show last week who talked about like the risk for Darius guys to get re-injured again. I want no part of Adrian Peterson. I might not own a Redskin this year unless you know, something really twists my arm in the right way, but I've knocked guys down uh, just because I... I I don't think that he's going to get the overall volume that you want to see because what's the point of running him into the ground this year if you're going to be like the worst team in football? No, you know this. I, I was pretty high on guys for a while there because it was the timeline comparison to Dalvin Cook. And then Dalvin Cook, once we saw him healthy around weeks 9, 10, it was a little bit past the midpoint of the season. We saw the Dalvin Cook we knew and the Dalvin Cook he could be. Similar to Darius Geis, Darius Geis' timeline of the same timeline, same similar injury, put him on week or track for week one. If that was the case, I was going to say, you know what? Darius Geis has top 15 potential on his ability. I think he's better than Leonard Fournette coming out of school. And similar to what Leonard Fournette is, is a better pass catcher than people realize because, again, LSU doesn't pass to their running backs. All that being said is the hamstring tweak or the soft tissue injury, whatever, kind of slowed him a little bit. They did bring Adrian Peterson back. Chris Thompson's apparently getting healthy. And then the biggest thing you just mentioned, the offensive line is a huge question, question mark. Eric Flowers, before the signing of uh, Penn, was originally supposed to be the left tackle. Thank God that's not the case. But it's not like Donald Penn at this point of his career is that much of an upgrade to get anything close to what Williams is. So I'm with you. I've moved Darius Guy down. He's now in the RB3 territory for me. Uh, that's because I do – I've actually been taking Adrian Peterson in like the – ninth tenth this round just in case hey what if he somehow leaves his backfield the entire year although it's still probably not going to be that appealing jake seeley follow him on twitter at allen kid read his work at the athletic and tell everyone about the podcast yeah, the podcast All in Sports is the free one. We have multiple podcasts. The new one coming out for the football season and ranking show. And then, of course, the Sports Unsealed with Chris Meany and Brad Ziegler. And then if you want, if you, you, you want to check those out and you haven't yet, as I always tell you, Pat, for your listeners, go to theathletic.com slash all in sports and it's 40% off. Not front slash, just slash. And it's 40% off for your first year. 
If you're catching on to the whole slash thing, that's, that's the only thing that you really need to get through. No forward slash. And you're not, I guess you are talking to like 98 year olds because you're writing about fantasy baseball as well. I think the rest that's of true. us can, can handle slash. We'll be good to go. Anyway, thanks for being on the line. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the PME. Sub to the Pat Mayo Experience audio pod to get into one of those draws that I talked about at the beginning. I'm Pat Mayo telling you to draft Josh Allen this year in fantasy football. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.